work in him is your mission. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Good morning, church. I'm not used to having a stage, so I'll, I'll get there eventually, but uh, I do want to point out, Kent started school a whole year before me. And if you think I'm being petty, I'm just frustrated that on July 10th, 2022, he called me a psychopath. I do actually, I do actually listen to his sermons. Um, it's it's good, it's good to be here. Uh, it's good to be amongst family. This is a special place. We are a special people. Um, I already, I already planned on getting emotional this morning because I, I love you so much. And looking around, I only know half of you now. And that's a beautiful thing. Um, but the memories I have here in this congregation, the, the, your embodiment of Christ's love for one another and for the people that enter these doors, uh, I have shared that message to everyone I've met. You are often examples in, in classrooms that I teach in, in classrooms that I uh, have been in university. Uh, I've shared, this is what the ministry of the church is supposed to be, that when you love one another, people will know that you're the followers of Christ. And this is a church that loves well. And so thank you for shaping me, for so many years of a lot of great and funny memories of this church. Um, Nathan is the best youth minister this church has ever seen. I, I think I'm the greatest mediocre minister this church has ever seen. Uh, but Nathan's the best minister this, that this church has ever seen because he's probably never been to the hospital twice on youth trips. Um, I've broken lots of bones because of your teens. Uh, you've probably never been put in handcuffs outside your office because the teens didn't clean up the van and one of your neighbors thought that, you know, I was burglarizing the van. Um, and so I appreciate um, Nussbaum leaving me there by myself at, gosh, outside our office at midnight after youth trip. But a lot of great memories here. Um, it, it's things like March Madness, uh, the basketball tournament they all have, sorry, March Madness, I know you're looking for a name, but March Madness is great, but it's the way that you play together as a church, and the way that you just do life together that makes you such a good congregation. Uh, lots of wonderful things have happened in this congregation because of the way that you love the people that come through these doors. So keep being the best sermon I've ever seen or ever heard. Uh, keep loving each other and loving others. Uh, my sermon hasn't started yet, so Mark, quit talking. Uh, Mark once told me that um, my first sermon uh, was the best sermon he's ever heard, and then the next 20 minutes was, was not that great. So, but my, my wife and my kids wish they could be here this morning. I'm glad that I could bring both joy and disappointment to each of you that I've seen this morning. And, oh, it's so good to see you. Where are your kids? Oh, oh okay. Um, so, they, they are wonderful, um, and they, they wish they could be here because, uh, because we love y'all so much. So thank you for, uh, for praying for me for so many years to finally find a wife. Um, y'all sat down and gave me a lecture about how I just need to 
thank you for pushing me. Um, you're wonderful people. I, I, I'm delighted to be here on the final Sunday of March for Missions. Uh, we're going to be in the Gospel of John this morning. And I want to talk about the, the greatest evangelist, the first evangelist to the Samaritans. Uh, the, great, the first evangelist to Samaria. This, this woman who, in the Bible, does not have a name. Uh, the Gospel of John is a beautiful Gospel. Uh, the Gospel of John is well written. It, it, he writes with such beauty, and sometimes we, we miss the beauty of Scripture because we're just looking for tonal effects. But, but when you look at the Scripture as, as literature, and it's written well, and it brings about imagery, you start seeing how the Bible is woven together through these images to, to paint a picture of who God has called us to be. John starts in the beginning, and in saying that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, he brings about this imagery, taking you back to Genesis 1. He wants you to remember the, the creation, and then at the end of the gospel, Jesus is mistaken as who? The gardener. And you have this imagery of the garden coming back into life through this new gardener, it's just beautifully woven together. And, and John talks about the, the light came into darkness, and the darkness didn't understand it. And he, he's got this play with light and dark throughout his gospel. That, that you hold on to this imagery, and you pay attention to this imagery, and you see the beautiful story playing out. And you get to John chapter 3, but, and I'll eventually get to John chapter 4, but you get to John chapter 3, and you have Nicodemus coming to Jesus when? Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's a learned man. He got his doctorate in four years rather than three. Um, but he, he is someone who's supposed to know the law well. And he goes to Jesus, and he, he's asking Jesus who he is in the cover of darkness. And, and John's playing with this, that, that, that Nicodemus is in the darkness. And he has this conversation with Jesus, and, and, and Jesus is saying, you know, you've got to be born again. Understanding is the doctrine. The Pharisee who's supposed to know the law, this whole idea of being born again, Nicodemus, he responds in this way. Uh, I think the Greek says, What? And when he doesn't meet his understanding, Nicodemus just says, I, How could this be? And, and this idea that Nicodemus stays in the darkness, and, and later in the book, Nicodemus is redeemed, but but when you see Nicodemus, he leaves, he comes to Jesus in the darkness, and he stays in the darkness for days. Because Jesus gives him a teaching that he can't get his mind around, and therefore it must be wrong. And so he says, you've got to be born of the Spirit. You've got to be reborn. Says, ah, what? That doesn't make sense to me. And then in the next chapter, you get to this woman. And I love this story because when you get into the culture of the, of the world at the time of Jesus, uh, Jesus is walking with his, his disciples. He says, we, we're going to have to go through Samaria. And, and Samaria, we hear good Samaritans so often that we think Samaritans are considered good people. But in the context, Samaritans are lower than dogs. You go around Samaria even though it's going to take longer. And you don't interact with Samaritans because they're dirty. They're, they're nasty people. They sold out a 
long time ago, and you do not fraternize with the Pharisees. And so Jesus says, we're going to have to pass through Kansas. I mean, we're going to have to pass through Samaria to get where we're going. And so they're walking along, and you just, you've got to imagine how frustrating it had to have been to follow Jesus. Because he's constantly putting you into awkward situations, situations where you respond with, doesn't make sense to me. And so he puts you in these situations and he says, okay, hey, it's I'm, we're all kind of getting hungry. I'm going to send y'all into town to buy lunch. And I'm like, wait, you're sending us into a Samaritan town to buy lunch? Can you imagine the conversations as they, as they go into town? Peter's going, I'm not asking. I'm not placing the order. And so they're like drawing straws. They're casting lots on who's going to have to order the tacos from Samaria. Like, do we even know where to get tacos? They're looking at Google. Like, oh, all the reviews are bad because they're written by Jews. That's not an anti-Semitic comment. This is a Jewish Samaritan thing. And so they're, they're sent off into town, and Jesus goes to the well. And it's midday. And these are details that John wants you to hear. And at midday at the well, he sees a woman. The woman normally went early in the day when it was cooler. So there's a reason this woman is there. And you have to ask why. And Jesus goes up and talks to her. And you need to understand the context of this. If you read your Bible and you pay attention to what's going on, Isaac, where does he meet his wife? Jacob, where does he meet his wife? Moses, where does he meet his wife? The well is the e-harmony of the day. But it's midday, so we're not on eHarmony, we're not on one of those swiping apps. Um, those aren't as good. I, I don't really know much about these anymore, it's been a while. But, but Jesus goes to this woman midday at the well. Men don't talk to women, ever. Jewish men definitely do not talk to Samaritan She does what most of us do and changes the subject. 
And she, t- she changes the subject and she says, you, know, you Jews, y'all, let's say that you know, we got to worship in the temple, but we worship on the mountain. I've lost my place. Here we go. Verse, John chapter 4, verse 19. You've heard Ryan's version up to this point. Let's, let's read, actually read scripture. Verse 19 says, Sir, the woman said, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worship on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. The woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth for the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And I love this story because the woman's confronted with the mess of her life. She changes the subject and she asks a theological and the best way to get people away from your mess is to start talking about the difference of opinions and doctrines. And what I love about her in contrast with Nicodemus, who, who goes to Jesus at night, hears a hard message about, about the Spirit being born into people when they're born again, he responds with, what? But she responds, Verse 25 says, the woman said, I know the Messiah, the one called Christ, is coming. And when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And essentially what she's saying is, none of what you're saying actually makes sense to me. This whole you know, mountain or temple or Jerusalem or whatever, you're saying we're going to worship the Spirit, what does that even mean? She's kind of, that doesn't make any sense to me. But a day will come where all things will make sense. And the things that confuse me will be made clear because the Messiah is going to make it clear to us. And Jesus responds, It's me. I'm him. I belong. And this, this response of faith places this, this woman with a sketchy past, past in the light of day when the sun is shining the brightest. And this woman is put in contrast with the doctor, the guy who's supposed to know everything, and you have this contrast between this man and this woman, the one who's at night who goes, I don't understand that, but so he must be wrong, and this woman who is a Samaritan in the light of day, standing in the light of Christ, saying, you know, I don't understand, but it will be made Jesus' response 
them. Like Jesus said, hey, we're hungry. Go get us some lunch. And they're like, hey, we got tacos in the best pizza area. And he's like, ah, sorry, Abe. What? <laughs> and he's always giving these weird things. Why, why are you Abe? To do the will of God, that, that's, that's easy. But while this conversation is going on, this woman walks back to Sakaar, her town. And it, it kind of bothered me for a while. Her message to the people is, hey, I met a guy who told me everything I ever did. And everybody went, oh, cool, the Messiah. What? <laughs> that makes no sense to me. What, what is it about, okay, prophet, maybe, uh, truth teller, okay. But Messiah, you would go from, he, he told me the things I did, therefore he's the Messiah. So what, what is the message that this woman gives to the people of Sakaar? And I, I, I did a prayer practice. There's, there's a prayer practice that's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years old called you know, playing with your imagination. God, God gives you an imagination. Allow God to speak to you through all of your senses. God's going to meet you in amazing ways. And so I was practicing this, I was sitting with this passage in this prayer practice, let's just pray with your imagination. Okay, this is where you just sit with different characters, and you just try to enter into the story, feel the ground, feel the air, smell the smells, and hear the voice of Jesus speak to you. So to sit with the story and say, what is it like to be the woman and have the Messiah approach you? What is it like to be one of the disciples who comes back and hears the conversation between Jesus and this woman? To, to sit with the story and allow God to, to use your imagination to move you into deeper ways of, of experiencing these stories. And as I sat with the story, I was really captured by what would it be like to be one of the townspeople? To be in town when this woman comes back. To, to see her coming down the road, and I began to pray. And I just began to sit with it. And after this, after this time of reflection and prayer, I, I, I wrote this story down because it just it really impacted me. So I want to share this with you. Uh, this is the story of one of the townspeople as this woman uh, came back to Sakaar. Uh, in the Eastern Orthodox Church, uh, they celebrate this woman. Her name is Fatone. And Fatone is, is basically means the enlightened one. So when you put her in the context of the Gospel of John, she's the one who's in the light while listening to Jesus. So the, the one who has come from the light comes back to Sakaar. And this, this is the story of one of the townspeople. It says, I remember the day that everything changed in our village of Sakaar. I saw Fatone coming down the western road in the afternoon heat. I figured she was coming from the well, as she often did at that time of day, but something was different about her today. She really tries to be invisible in our small town, but I could see something different in the way that she held herself. Something changed. She had her head up. She looked around for anyone who would notice her coming. Her eyes caught mine, and she began to come right towards me. 
just unnerved me because we haven't spoken in years, and my family refuses to acknowledge her on the street. You see, I'm, I'm her brother, her second husband. Her first husband abandoned her and their daughter and has never returned to Sitar. My brother took Matoni in as his wife and offered to raise her daughter as his own, and their life together worked well for a few years till she moved to Odell. She had a son, and uh, she, uh, she left him and married the brother of her first husband, and she had a son not long after that, if you know what I mean. My family hasn't spoken to her since. Now she's walking right towards me and looks intent on talking to me. <coughs> she walked right up to me and took both of my hands. Looking deep into my eyes, she asked me for, for my forgiveness for everything she had done to my family. I, I was taken aback and didn't know what to say. She started crying as she repented of the deep hurt and shame she brought on my family. I didn't know what to do, so I hugged her. And as I stood there holding her, my mother came over angry at the sight. Matine turned to her and began to beg her for her forgiveness. Causing a scene in the street, others began to gather to see what was going on. Everyone knew Fatine and all she had done. I was able to calm her down and ask, ask where all of this was coming from. And she simply said, I, I found the Messiah and he told me everything that I ever did. And she began to go around the crowd asking for forgiveness for the things she had done. We were all amazed at this transformation we saw in her. It was like she had a defined understanding of the hurt and brokenness she caused in each of us as she asked us for forgiveness. We had to know where, we had to know more about this source of insight and healing into her life and ask her to introduce us to the Messiah, too. She took us to Jacob's well. The man named Jesus was there with his disciples, and while we were on our way out to meet him, he was motioning towards us, talking to his disciples, and we convinced them to stay for a time. We couldn't believe that these Jews would lower themselves to stay with us, but they did. Jesus spoke to us about God's redeeming love and how there are no longer barriers between Jews and Samaritans. He spoke of God creating a new humanity where all were made one people, equal in every way, where love was the measure of how we were to live together. He settled the debates of where proper worship took place. God is placing his spirit neither in the temple nor in the holy mountain, but in a new humanity that would be his new he told us that God was happy to make his dwelling among us and in us through the giving of the Holy Spirit. Now everyone believed that he was the Messiah, but many of us, now not, not everyone believed that he was the Messiah, but many of us were born again through the Spirit in baptism. Life in Sitar changed that day. And Fotime 
shared what Jesus did in her life and continued to share with everyone she met. She was different than other now, and we are better because of her teaching. Our community of believers began to change uh, began to change uh, life in Sakaar and the surrounding area because of how we loved one another. The way we lived together in community with one another was contagious for everyone who experienced the love we showed to one another. All because one broken woman had an encounter with Jesus and shared him with others. And that's the day everything changed. So, so often we want to take people to the waters of baptism and when they come out and say, ah, oh, thanks be to God. 
God for the grace I receive. Now I'm going to go live my life however I want. And, Jesus, and Paul says in Romans 6, should I keep sinning so that Christ may, or that grace may increase? No, that's ridiculous. It's foolish. But when you come out of the waters of baptism, it's not about, I mean, it's about the grace you've received to now enter into a walk with Christ, but you don't simply lean on that grace like, ah, I'm saved. It's about continually answering the call to follow Jesus. And when you answer the call to follow Jesus, it's a continual answering of the call that when Jesus extends his hand out and says, come and follow me, you say, yes, every day. I think back to the first sermon I ever preached here. I handed out rocks to everyone. And you got excited for a public stoning. And I, it went really poorly. But I handed out these small rocks to everyone and said, you know, as the waters of baptism continue to flow over a rock, it smooths out the rough edges. If you just throw a rock in the water and pull it out, it's going to stay rough. But it's when you allow the waters of baptism to continue to wash over a rock, it smooths out those rough edges. And so when you come together in community, when you break bread together, you look into the mirror that is scripture and say, am I looking like Jesus today? Ah, here's a, here's a rough edge in my life. And it needs to be smoothed out in the waters of baptism. That's grace. You're not earning salvation. You're, commit, you're continually submitting to the presence of Christ that changes you and transforms you. And the people who know you the best, the people you work with, the people, your neighbors, the people who see you every day, over time should say, hey, you're a little less crazy now. What happened? Uh, you're less anxious about the things going on in the world. You, you're, you're not as angry as you used to be. Why is that? You know, the more I realize that Christ is king, all this is just a product of the world that's going to go away anyways. I part of the king of the kingdom, and I believe that Christ is victorious in the end, and whoever's elected in this next election just really, in the great scheme of things, doesn't matter. So I'm a lot less anxious because And they go, is that why you post on Facebook a lot less? Yeah. Because whatever I'm sharing doesn't matter nearly as much as Jesus Christ being Lord of my life. And so this, these steps towards Jesus have to be intentional because they seek you on the mission. And mission is not a time where you say, okay, I'm going to go do evangelism. Mission is a life lived out of the transformation of your encounters with Jesus Christ. Later in chapter 7, Jesus is at the Feast of Tabernacles, and 
The Feast of Tabernacles is this reminder, uh, this festival that reminds the Jewish people that God shows up in the wilderness and provides. And as they wander through the wilderness, God shows up in the rock, he shows up in the manna, he shows up in the quail, and God provides for his people. And Jesus stands up and says, I am the water of life. I come to give you something to drink. And when you drink of this water, you will never be thirsty again. Come and drink. And Jesus offers this in chapter 7, and John is, John is weaving this together because you should have in mind the drink that he just offered Photine that gives true life. And, and he's, he's giving this reference, this water of life flowing out is, is this reference to Ezekiel 47 where you have this beautiful picture. The, the book of Ezekiel, is the, the narrative is basically God removes his presence from the temple because the people are so sinful. He says, I can't be here anymore. And the trajectory is God's presence is coming back to the temple. And when God's presence comes back to the temple, Ezekiel 47 paints this picture that when God's presence comes back to the temple, the waters of life flow from the temple. And they flow from the temple to the Dead Sea and life springs up from the Dead Sea. And this imagery is pointing to Revelation at the end where the waters of life transform the world and the tree of life gives healing to the nations. And when you allow the waters of life to pour from you through the Spirit, you bring healing to your neighborhood and to the city and to the state and to the nation. If you want this country to be one for Christ, it starts with your first steps towards Jesus. And if you want this neighborhood to be transformed, then it starts here when you play this out together. And if you want to be on mission for God, you first have to, first, you first have to start right here in the transformation of Christ. I want to offer you two practices. The first practice just starting your day with Jesus. Just with him. It may not seem like much, and if you can't do five minutes, do three. If you can't do three, do two. Don't start where you think you should. Start where you are, and God will meet you there. Don't, don't pray as you think you should. Pray as you can. Uh, the second practice is, at the end of your day, just reflect. Where did you show the love of Christ during the day? And then where did you withhold the love of Christ during the day? This is confessional. And when we think about confession, we think about, okay, what, what's a major sin I did? That's not how the Sermon on the Mount works. Jesus says, tell me about your heart. And when you reflect on your day and say, where did I withhold the love of Christ from someone? It becomes transformative because the next time you're in that situation, you're going to show the love of Christ to lead you. And when you allow Christ to, to sit with Christ and to reflect on your day, Say, where, where do I need to be more like you? And then you look to the future and say, where do I need to, where am I going to struggle to be like you tomorrow? You start to see the Holy Spirit work in your life. And you start to see the waters of life flow out of you. Be intentional with your time with Jesus. Be transformed into his image. And continue to be a church of life. And as you 
discover how to play out the gospel in this place, you're going to go and play out the gospel in a world that will transform everywhere you go. You are a special people. I count myself blessed to be part of this family. I often think of you when we break bread together every Sunday. To share a table with you is one of the greatest gifts of my life. To keep being on mission and keep showing the love of Christ to every person you meet. I suppose we 